Welcome to the Punters Preamble. I'm Simon Dinopoulos. I'll be joined by Adam Blenko. Massive, massive weekend of sport and racing. The Moya tonight, Group 1 racing at Rose Hill on Saturday. Sunday at Sandown and, of course, AFL Grand Final Day on Saturday. So we are certainly up and about, even though yesterday's public holiday has put us in a horrendous spot on Friday. Chasing our tails. But, yeah, you're right. If you're going to be chasing your tail, this is the right weekend to be doing it because you're sort of up and about with all of it. And three straight days of Group 1 racing all culminates with the highest rated horse going around anywhere in the world this weekend in Thunderstruck. Well, we're saying Thunderstruck because we're dismissing Zaki's older form. Yep. Going with 2022. Um, and that makes Thunderstruck the best horse. There is other good racing going on around the world. The pick of that is Newmarket, but it's mostly juveniles, so they're not troubling the the top of the rating. Certainly nothing there rated higher than Thunderstruck. So he heads the ratings worldwide for the weekend, but he doesn't head the market in the Underwood. Mm. Which I think we both agree on could have it the other way. We do have it the other way. I was a bit surprised Zaki did come up favourite, given he did win first up in Sydney, but I thought the Melbourne form, I reckon that's the best piece of form we've seen across everything, that Maccabi D. But that was a real race. And Zaki's in Sydney was not. And so I'm a bit surprised Thunderstruck isn't favourite there, but it is 2-0 Zaki, isn't it? Mm, I must. I differ from you in I wasn't surprised, mm. but I can I can absolutely find a way and see a way where Thunderstruck is the, the favourite here, and I'm happy to, to be betting on him because um, I think it sets up well, and I agree with you that he's... Craigley win, Maccabi Diva win, mowing down Alligator Blood said that uh, we might be we might be witnessing a better, sharper, improved I'm um, Thunderstruck from the one that was, to be honest, closing Zaki down in the All-Star Mile. And, and Zaki, I thought the tramway, I probably think more of his tramway win than you do mm. by the sound of that. I thought it was probably a better, well, I do think it was a better tramway win than his win 12 months ago and he followed that up with a pretty dominant display here. But this is a deeper underwood. There's only six runners, but this is deep. And I was looking at it, we're talking about four of the top ten horses in Australia at the moment. And away from sprinters, it's pretty much all the next in line behind Animo. So I, I sort of think... Is this a Cox Plate without Animo? I think that's. I think the, the place that this race fits at the moment is this is your your challenger. Who wins this to be, to be Animo's biggest challenger come, well, the might and power first and foremost, but then the Cox Plate. So, yeah, we're dealing with a... A real setup race for the the big group ones in the in the spring, if you like, and and it's probably fair enough to call this a big group one as well. I think it it justifies that tag, which, as you know, most of the time I think they don't. Mm. I read this as there being good speed, given alligator blood drawn inside, Mister Brightside and Zaki, but you read it differently. Well, it just looks too straightforward the map to think that there'll be good speed. And mm. do any of them really want to? Alligator blood will lead. They all expect him to lead. They're all going to let him lead. Does Tim Clark want to make it an end-to-end gallop at 1,800? I don't think so. I think he'll want to kick on down that hill and finish strong. I think Zaki will be happy to sit outside him and not be too concerned about forcing that. And that would probably be in his interest as well. I think he'd want to try and catch Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck can be a horse that takes a bit of organising and maybe he thinks he could slip him down the hill there and Thunderstruck might you know take a bit of time to, to really find his top coming down the hill and, and mow down Zaki, but I, I think Thunderstruck, I love the setup for him, just cruising over and tagging the good horse and mowing him down. It, it all feels about right to me, and I think that that scenario and that very um, neat scenario for him appeals to me, and, and that's where I can mark him favourite. Yeah, massive switch too for Thunderstruck, I think, drawing outside as opposed to inside last start. Sort of riding was on the wall, he was going to get locked away, and he managed to get himself out of jail. 
outside's perfect in the small field for him. No traffic jam. Yeah. And Mr. Brightside, I guess this is his chance. He absolutely walked in and Craig Williams slaughtered him that day. So, slaughtered him as in went too slow. <laughs> yeah. When I say slaughter, he was a Penrith winner, went too slow, should have gone faster and won by further. These are easily the best horses he's raced. Big weight swing. He beat Thunderstruck in the Doncaster, but now meets him at Wait for Age. So I'm not going to say it's D-Day for him, but this is the fork in the road as to whether he can make that step to the better horses at Wait for Age. Yeah, I think the point we made with Mr. Brightside when he won the other day was that he, and he won the Penrith, Craig Williams, for running inefficiently because he finished full of running and it left us... Look, as you say, he raced lesser horses, but he absolutely smashed them. Mm. Um, and it left us thinking he could be way better than that. Hence, that's sort of the Pendrith, if you like. We didn't get to see him running evenly. Yep. Or running, you know, maybe showing the, the best of himself. And he was the sectional horse in that all-star mile humming along behind them there. I wasn't smart enough to then follow up in the Doncaster. In fact, I was back thunderstruck in the Doncaster. <laughs> <laughs> but he would look at that all-star mile in particular, I think, and, and think, hang on, I'm a better version now. Uh, there might be some uncertainty about exactly what he achieved in the fee and at the Valley, but one thing I'm certain of is that he is better now than he was then. Yeah, he's he can't be dismissed lightly. I think he's a credible chance, and I make him the you know, sort of 10th best horse in Australia with a chance of being a, a bit better than that. So you're right in saying it. I mean, D-Day probably seems a bit dramatic, but it's probably it's an interesting point for him to say, okay, am I a good handicapper who won the Doncaster and made the most of a lightweight there, or am I really one of these, you know, am I one of these Zarkis and Thunderstrucks? And I think Thunderstruck answered that question last up because I think he probably... He was, was in the same that, boat. Yeah, he was in the same boat. He'd run so many good races, but he had to go from terrific handicapper to, you know, potentially the the heir apparent to... Well, heir apparent is older than him, but the biggest challenger to Animo in the middle distance ranks. And I think this is his big chance. If he can mow down Zaki like I think he can... Yeah, he is the, the number two seed going to, to the Valley, I suppose. I think the interesting thing with those two horses on Thunderstruck and Mr. Brightside, they have come back and they are better, where Zaki isn't. He's not slowing down and as much as I've thrown shade at him for 18 months, it's been a good 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, we were happy to take five to four in an all-star mile mm. and, as I said, and nothing's really changed about him anyway yeah. in that time. So. The angle against is um, that the other two are are better now. It all sets up a. It's a fascinating race, and it's got a real, you know, it's got some real context around it as well. The race, part of the spring narrative, which you know this podcast is all about narrative. We love it. The other group one in Melbourne this week, obviously the Moya tonight. You found a bit of a quirky stat. I did. This is a, it's a history says race because mm. we've got and we've measured this for years now the positive effect of Queensland to Melbourne and those horses that opt to race on into the Queensland Winter Carnival and that practicing racing against good opposition up in Queensland tends to be beneficial rather than standing in a rainy paddock. Shock me. Yep, practice makes perfect. So we've we've measured that and we saw another example of it with Rothfire, who raced himself back from injury and back into form over the, the Brisbane Carnival and, and then rode that Queensland form on down to Melbourne and won the McEwen. In the last dozen years, 27 horses, including seven winners through the McEwen, have turned up in the Moyer and none of them have managed to win the Moyer and they've slid badly, losing about 30%, like losing to about 30% more runners in the Moyer than they do in the McEwen. Now that makes some sense because the Moyer is the group one. It should be the stronger race, but it, you see a similar effect through the car line as well. And I think what, I mean, for one, it doesn't mean a lot. 
for two, what I think it's sort of saying is that this race and those races, this does get stronger when you get to the Moyer and it is ripe for a um, fresh horse on the scene and a real Group 1 horse. And I think Paul Ailey is something like that. I, mm, the tag real Group 1 yeah, horse. he's not a real Group 1 yeah, horse. No, that feels a bit too <laughs> generous. But He's not doing anything in a real Group 1 sprint. I do like that he went to Brisbane and, well, it would be unfair to say the Dooman 10,000 isn't a real Group 1 sprint. And he's rock solid there and he beat Rothfire in both those races. I think 1,000 metres is a... That's the niggle. A genuine niggle with him, but he's got the right man aboard. He's got a strong pace to take aim at, and I don't think he has to get too far back if he can if he can lay up with them. Although I do feel like I'm walking into a very similar bet to what I walked into in the McEwen when I backed in the Congo. and mm. They're the, the same horse. The niggle was 1,000 metres, but he's a good horse, and then he just got left on a limb and, and blown away. But Rothfire ran to 120 there, and I think if he that's better than the vast majority of Moyer winners, to be honest, from the last, you know, from modern times, if you're not Black Caviar or Buffering or I think it was Extreme Choice, that yep. was sort of the, the better ones. And it was a different race when Black Caviar was winning it too. Um, it has been weaker than that. And if he runs up to that level, he would make a good Moyer winner. But um, yeah, there's a little history says niggle there. And I, I thought Paul Lilly was probably the right favourite. It's very interesting to have a lead-up have such a poor record. Especially when it's the same race. Mm. Mm. Some of those horses are like Russian Revolution and um, Nature Strip, little horse called Nature Strip. Like it wasn't as if, yeah, it's a, it's a little statistical anomaly, if you like. Mm. Which could mean that could they're going to regress to the mean. Could yeah. it mean something? I, I Is it going to turn? Does, but it might just suggest that you know, often the Moya will get a, a fresh horse on the scene and a big strong horse on the scene and... And Nature Strip probably just threw up one of his bad ones. But he did win a Moyer as well, but he did that off the Concord. There you go. Is that when he fell in and there was a mile across yeah, the track? Miss Leonidas nearly mowed him down. Yeah. So, he, I mean, he wasn't at his best there either. But I think but a 1,000 Valley is a real fast, early, slow, late, high-pressure scamper for position, and that's probably... Not his go. No, that's the, that's the worst scenario for Nature Strip, really. The Dunno for us this week comes up in the other Group 1... On the weekend, the Golden Rose Stakes, Fireburn, again. Yeah, so she was our Dunno first up and we, I was pretty happy with her first up run, but I don't think she did enough yeah, I still to don't move know. outside the Dunno category. I think she remains a, a Dunno. I talked a lot about how that run is different depending on the, the way you view it. If you view her as the slipper winners back, yeehaw, it's a little bit underwhelming to run 102 first up, but... If you think here's a nice thousand guineas sort of filly kicking off, 102 with nice sectionals laid on in the piece is um is a perfect way to kick things off. Now she turns up. I suppose the interesting thing is here in secret comes up really short, having dominated the the main lead up there. But Fireburn has several ratings, at least two ratings, that are better than that form. It's just that it's in extremely heavy ground, and it was six months ago. Mm. So what do we make of that? I don't know. <laughs> do you? Had she not drawn 16, I'd be interested. I think that makes it really, really hard. She has a ratings edge from a two-year-old season, but she's going to need that edge if she's going to win from there. I'd imagine they're going to go back. Initially, with all the predicted rain there was at the start of the week, I thought 16 would be all right, but the rain's missed. It's still a soft five. It could miss again today if it's a soft track. And she's going to be last. Well, I don't think she's got much chance. So is that what, are we saying she's going to be last? From 16, yes. Can't she just be th- midfield and off the fence? Why be last? Well, everyone else wants to be that position. That's the problem. Sure, she wants to be midfield with cover, 
but so do a lot of other horses that are drawn inside her, which makes it hard for her. So it's over to Brenton. Over to Brenton. He's done right by her in the past. Mm. One of the interesting things is when I, I was digging around having a look at this is that barriers from the Rose Hill 1400, and for whatever reason, I'm not sure, but there does seem to be a positive effect and a fairly straightforward, easily observed positive effect. The f- Why do you draw from 1 to 16? Really? Mm, it's, only, it's only slight. It's at the margins like most barrier stats are, but it, if anything, it paints a picture for 16 being better than 1. Now, I don't think most people would agree with that, but it does seem to be a, a little positive effect for drawing away from the fence at the Rose Hill 1400. So that's interesting. But then, as we discussed last week, it might not be so much the barrier, but how people react to the barrier that, that causes the, mm. the issue. So if Brenton and, and Gary can keep their heads and just be calm about it and just happily sit three wide somewhere. Or, you know, roll the dice and, hey, if you sit, sit midfield, except that three wide's probably going to be a lot. But, hey, what if it splits and you end up one-off midfield tracking? That's a good scenario. Roll the dice. Well, the interesting thing for the Golden Rose now with Bessa Bordeaux coming out is we lost our leader. And Dormier is reportedly not going forward as well. So then you've got Zoo Tiger drawn from 15, who looks now the leader in secret is just going to lob the coffin. So we're thinking it might even be a bit messy. Mm. I mean, most Golden Roads, as you watch the replays, it's generally swoopers because they do tend to overdo it in these races. But on paper, I can't really see it happening this year. Last year, the race was decided by the tempo, I think. Mm-hmm. When um, in the Congo nicked it, Nanamo was left doing too much running late. We're saying, once again, a lack of pressure. Which is unusual, generally, for this race. It's only worth a million, but it's actually worth 40. Yeah, for the Colts, it's worth a hell of a lot more than the prize money. Is there a flyer in there? Do you, who's the flyer? No. I think this is straightforward. I think the Philly's a good thing. Now the rain's missed. That was my only concern in the lead-up to the race. Just looking back... History says. So no Phillies won the Golden Rose since it was a Group 1. In that time, 23 have tried, but the market only expected two winners. Only one horse has started shorter than in secret, which was Nikita. Nikita. Nikita, who then went and won the Coolmore at her next start. But that was when they overdid it in front as well. Epaulette came from near last to win it. I think the interesting, maybe one of the interesting things about the Phillies, poor record if you like, the Golden Rose is that um, I'm, am I right in saying Forensics is the only one to win it and it was yeah not, 2008 so it wasn't and it was in the autumn EI year but you're obviously you're only expecting two winners you said so mm. there's not a, a huge effect there potentially no. you're only one winner away from being much you know pretty much within the range of expectation yep and then you can look to widen the net if you like you can just look at a like for like race like the Coolmore where the Phillies have a great record and I mean it's hard to come up with a plausible theory as to why Phillies would have a dislike or be disadvantaged by the Rose Hill 1400 in September and not the Flemington 1200 in October. So it's probably nonsense, right? Oh, it is. So the run to the Rose is the obvious lead-up. It's the complete opposite of the McEwen to the Moya. It's outstanding. So five of 11 have completed the double, and I'm pretty confident it would have been six if Rothfire didn't break down. So their strike rate is unreal. And Bivouac is the only horse to win the run to the Rose by further in the lead-up to the Golden Rose. 
You look at the SPs, Rothfire started deep odds on in the Golden Rose. Minari started close to even money. If the rain misses and this track is soft five, soft six tomorrow, I'd happily mark her evens. I think there's a distinct lack of top-end talent this year. Golden Mile, the stablemate, is the danger. Fireburn has the peak ratings, but we've already touched on her from Barrier 16, and I don't think any of these others are much good. Jackano is interesting up from Melbourne, so the three market leaders have never raced each other and all off different form, so that always makes it interesting. But a weird setup, really sharp stable, but 28 days, 12 to 14. I that. heard he gets a bit racy, and they they if he ran in between, it would be all too much. Mm. But a Rubik at 1,400 anyway, like I think he's a Coolmore horse. And reports from the stable, the wetter, the worse his chances are. And I think In Secret has a clear edge on him anyway. The run of the rose is always the best form. She made light work of them. She's drawn to get every chance and J-Mac goes aboard. So now, one tick, thing tick, tick. I haven't heard you mention yet and that you must consider is that last week you really liked Stray. And now the racing gods, they like, they like a laugh. Yeah. Absolute lads. They do. <laughs> Tommy rides She's Extreme for Anthony Cummings. She's going to knock you off. <laughs> <laughs> well, her, what did you make of her first up run? Uh, well, a very inconclusive race. If I'm, if I'm wishy-washy about what I thought about Fireburn first up, I'm very wishy-washy about what I thought there. Funny track, funny pace as well. Mm. They went hard, collapsed, everyone was legless late. She's obviously better than that. I mean, to be honest, if Fireburn wasn't here, she's a huge contender for the Dano. Mm. She nicked the champagne and we were of the impression that the way things panned out that day, the slow pace that she was able to control was um, to her advantage and, and Fireburn was at least as good, if not better than her on the day and was the better filly overall. I think that was pretty conclusive. Yep. But it was still a good piece of form, I think. Yep. And she might be talking about no pace. Can she be that? I think she's... They have to, mm. yeah. So does that make her somewhat interesting? Her first up run was inconclusive. She has that form in the book to say she's better, but nothing has come back from two and shown that yet, which is the big niggle for me. Yeah. Well, I come. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for a golden rose, it's terrible. It's the worst golden rose we've seen, I think, since being a group one. All the talk of this coming weekend is going to be the group ones. Or but is it? One race that you can't gloss over at Rose Hill on Saturday, race so, seven. Some are calling it the feature of the weekend. I say the feature of the spring. The racing and sports golden pendant. We picked a hard one. Well, with the invention of 17 more Mayor's 1400 metre races, the time on a golden pendant needed some help. Racing and sports to the rescue. We're not going to let the golden pendant die on the vine. No. It's been a good race for too long. It's the real 1400 metre Mayor's slam of the spring. Forget all the imitations and invitations. This is it. And, of course, we'd have to find a Bizarro in it. So, yeah. naturally, the favourite there goes up, Bizarro. And do you know what? When I first, when I dug a little bit deeper, I, I wasn't so affronted. But when I did see it straight off the bat that Espiona was favourite, my first thought was, why? As I said, dig a bit deeper and I suppose she's one of the main chances. But Favourite. Favourite. From out there. Haven't we moved on from the idea that Espiona is mini winks? Mm. She will be happy the rain's missed. 1,400 is better. But similar to Fireburn, where are you going to be, J-Mac, from 15? Yeah, it must be a, a query. 
The other query for me is that does she deserve to be favourite on form? Third in the tramway to Zaki and Ice Bath looks pretty good. Similar map quandary mm. for Nimalee, but she's she's now run 115 and 116 in two of her last three, and the miss was first up 1,200 in a weird missile. So she wants the rain, right? Well, her best win, obviously, the Queen of the Turf, when it was utterly bottomless that day. And I think the map's not too bad, I don't think. She lands outside the lead. It is a very, very interesting market because I get the feeling the market is really wrong, but I'm not actually sure I'm going to be able to make it pay because Electric Girl is $18 and she beat home the majority of the market leaders Mm. when she ran second behind Chains of Rose. I know she was massive odds that day. But if you believe that form, which is what the market is, that's got to be a bit big. Admittedly, no good on wet tracks. So that's I'm guessing that's why the market is where it is at the moment. But She's done that before as well. So it is a, um, as you say, she's 25 to 1, but she did do that. She won the hot Danish mm. last this time last year. So I suppose we can say very similar sort of race. So she And then she failed to back that up, but without throwing it away completely, but she was off that form for a few and then just ripped it out again last start. So it's there. She can do it. Sartontes was okay behind her first up and is a 1,400-meter group one. Yeah, I thought Sartontes was a much better run than Espiona. Espiona still does a lot of things wrong. She wants to hang in. She gets ahead to the wrong side. So still seems a bit of work in progress. And you mentioned Sartontes winning the Winter Stakes prior to a break, her first up record isn't much good, but then second up, she definitely elevates. And so if she does that, I thought she was more likely than Espiona. So Espiona's beaten Star of Chaos at Flemington and everyone's gone apoplectic. I must admit. It I, was it was pretty good. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> but she's So she's run 109 plus, plus, plus that day. She's run 111 twice in four runs in the autumn. Generally considered disappointing, but she has improved on that form into the better races. But she's run it twice in four. I, I, I don't think there's got to be a massive chance that she wasn't disappointing in the autumn as much as she was. Her level? Mm, found out. At a good level and a level that very well may win this race. In fact, Golden Pendant winners on average last dozen years, 109, and I'm saying she's run 111 twice last prep, so she's a, a really good chance. But as I said, Nimalee's run 115 in two of her last three. And my concerns about the map were just dismissed by you there. Outside the lead, don't worry about it, mate. Yeah, I think she'll be fine. I and I'm only 10 minutes on from rabbiting on about the positive effect of wide draws at the Rose Hill 1400. So what am I doing? <laughs> Me, any hope? Had a chance last start. Is that the one little thing? She, re- she finally got put into a race. I think she ran right up to her best last start. Mm. And she's run that number now one, two, three, four, five times. That's how good she is. And that's usually, she's a place getter in a golden pendant. And that's probably, is that her lot? I'd say that's where she is because it was her chance last start, as mentioned. She generally would always leave with too much to do. But she was put into the race and just found, not going to say wanting, but she wasn't good enough. Mm. And as you touched on, maybe that is her level. And if that's the level, she's probably not good enough to be winning. Yeah. No, I think it probably is about her level. And I think it's a, a touch off Espiona's level, but only a touch. And one of them's you know, there. And I think they both got something to find on the two at the top. So... I think even though we might have been reaching for it at first, I think we've found a good Bizarro. Mm. She is a bizarre favourite. Waller from 15, like they'll just drag her back or something, were they? Yeah. I've said it'll be no issue for Nimili from that draw, but it could be. 
So the two at the top of the market, Espiona could be legitimately 100 to 1 at the start if she gets back to last and they don't do a lot in front. She's going to have to be so good. Mini Winks. Yeah, she's going to have to be (laughs) Mini Winks to win from back there. So your 460 is going to look horrendous after 200 metres. Nimali gets caught four deep. Your $6 now looks terrible. Sartontes is the one that should actually get the run in the race. So if you're big on your maps, I wouldn't be surprised if you do have Startontes mark favourite. No, I think there, there would be people out there and there's a, a way out there for people to mark her favourite. And certainly a, a way for the ratings. So the map guys might be able to make Startontes favourite. The ratings guys can certainly make Nimali favourite. Um, I'm not sure. Do the eyes guys still like Jamia? Can they make her favourite? Probably not. Probably not, no. But there's certainly ways around Espiona, that's for sure. You know what it is? It's a great quaddy leg. Oh, terrific quaddy leg. Leave out the top. Yeah. Yeah. And cheer rough. That'll be the play in that race. Down your way, best bet. Already discussed, Thunderstruck. I think two to one would... Best part of two to one Thunderstruck is a, a bet worth having. I think it's a, a great scenario for him and in a great scenario for the spring, I think. Spring Shaper. Yeah. You, know, you know, I love a Spring Shaper. You do. I tell you what, could be a couple here. If they come up short here, this could end up shaping the Coongee as well. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> have you got a flyer across the two meetings? I put up count the headlights for Kieran Ma, which is a total flyer because we haven't seen him since the Champagne where he got distanced. On the heavy, but he, um, I thought he ran well in the size. There's obviously a massive question mark on that form, but I thought it was interesting enough that his debut was good. And then the top yard campaigned him like a top horse. Blue diamond, size produce, champagne, shaped well enough in the diamond and the size for me to say that he didn't, he wasn't out of place in those races. Late kickoff to his spring, so I'm guessing he's a, probably a carbine horse. So get out to the early markets for the carbine. But yeah, I thought double figures probably undersold the chance that he's actually much, much better than his form. Up to Sydney, your best. In the Golden Rose, somewhat on weather watch, I want the rain to miss. If the rain did come and we got into a heavy range, I'd be a little irky on it. But I think if we're in the soft five, six range there tomorrow, I think in secret, we'll be winning. In terms of fillies to go to the Golden Rose, she's certainly not the best filly we've seen run in it. But I'd say she's racing the weakest opposition we've seen in the Golden Rose for some time. And the other interesting point for in secret is that her coat hadn't come through at all in her first two runs as well, which suggests there is further improvement for her. And if that's the case and she runs a new peak on the weekend, well, good luck beating her. So I thought well, she was a fairly likely winner. This is a bold new addition to the podcast, Coat Watch. Coat Watch. <laughs> yeah. And that was reported, and James Cummings did mention it during the week, that it had started to come through. And then race nine, I tweeted out earlier in the week that I thought War Eternal was big odds. They bet $16 to start. That price is gone now, but... He does look a likely winner in that race. Old Flame and War Eternal, for me, they're the two I'll be backing in the race. I think Ellsberg's a... He's going to lead, which is a tick for him because he didn't get the scenario he wanted first up, so he should be better second up. But as good as Ellsberg is, I've never really had much of an opinion of him. And Old Flame was a good winner first up. That form's worked out all right. And War Eternal, third up. Last prep ran fourth in the round with Guineas and he was a touch unlucky last weekend. I know he's up in grey, but this isn't a strong Shannon. And he's done it before. So they'd be the two I'll be playing in race nine down the bottom of the weights. You'll catch us on RSN tomorrow morning at 9.30 with Brad Bishop. We'll have a recap of the Moyer Stakes and AFL Grand Final preview along with looking at Rose Hill, Gone Rose Day and touching on Sandown on Sunday. That'll be at 9.30. Thanks, guys.